This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, we preview the upcoming NBL season. One Queensland horse owner shows their love for all things phallic. Why is my daughter freaking amazing? And we take a good look back on one of the craziest sporting years ever with our 2020 recap extravaganza. Let's get cracking. All right, Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was unequivocal proof over the weekend that my youngest daughter is definitely mine. (laughs) So anyone who has kids would know about those times when there's only one way to stop them from either crying or in my case, falling asleep on a drive home when you need them to stay awake. And unfortunately, that thing is to stick a screen in front of their face. It's not something you want to do, but you got to do what you got to do, right? Absolutely. So anyway, I put on this show called Twirly Woos that she's been watching. It's one of those shows with felt characters and not really a whole bunch of talking, just a bunch of like... (laughs) So, and, And keep in mind, she's only 16 months old, but she's somehow not only managed to open up Kyo, but she's managed to put on the Big Bash cricket for a few minutes, then changed it to the Spurs Lakers game. Perfect. Sounds like what I'd do, Shui. Oh, like there are seriously, sometimes I just love her to death, honestly. Like just <laughs> could not be prouder. Uh, so that's what caught my attention. How about yourself? Well, speaking of Spurs Lakers, I'll stay on theme. I, as I mentioned last week, I was very much looking forward to seeing my Spurs. And although we had a loss, we competed really well. That was without LaMarcus Aldridge playing as well. Uh, but the thing that caught my attention was towards the end of the second quarter, Paddy Mills hit a three and the Spurs announcers decided to read out a tweet from someone in Rockingham, Western Australia. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. How often does Rockingham get a mention on international sports media? Pretty rarely, I would say. I'm su- surprised he didn't do his usual, G'day, mate. Oh, he, he did. When Paddy he did. Mills- no, he did. Oh, yeah. He did. But uh, yeah, it was a good good game. We competed well. I tell you what, Keldon Johnson is going to quickly become one of my favourite players. He was magnificent. So. Certainly like those, like those games this year where you can be competitive but still lose. Well, and also it's a new year of Spurs fandom, you know, and I think it's quite an exciting team. I don't mind us losing a lot of close games. I think it will bode well for the future. We've got a team full of 3 and D guys and yeah, look forward to it. What'd you miss, mate? Good times. Well, it's been a real busy week in the evenings, which has honestly just meant the big bash has been on the back burner for the most part, unfortunately. Yeah, I hear you. It's not that I yeah, not that I haven't enjoyed what I've watched, but it's just yeah, it's not been a really great time the last week for uh, for getting onto the couch and watching the big bash. So yeah, that's that's what I've missed. What did you miss, Nate? Yeah, again, I'll stick with you, mate. I'll be honest, I haven't seen a hell of a lot of the big bash either. I've seen bits and pieces and I saw that great finish to the Stars and Thunder that we talked about last week, but uh, I've hardly seen any Perth Scorchers at all. Yeah, let the team down a little bit there, but the, you know, the bash boost and the long season and I don't know, I've just been prioritizing NBA and NFL and other things. So, But oh, we'll be going enough. to the game in person on Saturday, so that'll be fun. We will indeed. Should we get stuck into the news, mate? Let's do it. Starting off with some sad NBA and then some other bits and pieces in the NBA. We'll be disciplined this yeah. week and keep it in the news rather than spend a whole segment on it. Yeah. God, yet again, we have to start the news roundup with a tragic passing in the world of sport. This week, it was former NBA great Paul Westfall who passed away at just 70. Westfall had a magnificent 12-year career as a player, including a championship with the Celtics in 1974. He made five straight All-Star appearances from 1977 to 81, three All-NBA first-team spots in 77, 79, and 80. He also had 25 points as a member of the Phoenix Suns in the greatest NBA game of all time, which is game five of the 76 finals against the Celtics. 
He then coached on and off in the NBA for the, most of the last 30 years, including a 62 and 20 record and a trip to the finals in his first year with the Suns. 93 Suns, he was, yeah. Yeah, he, he was just always that amazingly animated coach. He was probably a perfect fit for guys like Charles Barkley, Dan Marley, Kevin Johnson, Richard Dumas, those sorts of guys. Ah, oh, it was a good so, team. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a great team. And and unfortunately, you know, they just ran into Jordan, basically, or yeah, Pippen yeah. as well. But but uh, but no, nah, not a, a great start to 2020. 21 unfortunately but no may he rest in peace indeed thankfully we've had some slightly uh, better news on the court including something from today we're only going to really cover a couple of things today um, in the news roundup because obviously as, as Nathan said we wanted to kind of keep it fairly short but uh, yeah the big news from today Steph Curry with a career high 62 points against the Portland Trailblazers absolutely superb performance and dare I say as great a performance as it is I was kind of surprised it was his career high as weird as that is yeah, well, I mean, I actually saw a tweet from Clay Thompson that said, welcome to the 60-point club, ah, big brother. Nice. Like it's, it was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, it's not often that you can say that you've outscored Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum on your own in a game. That's a, it's a pretty impressive Fair thing. effort. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so, so yeah, good to see Steph back. And as much as I've been a, a Golden State Warriors hater over the, the last sort of half decade, basically – it's, it's a much better NBA when the Warriors are doing well and when Steph Curry is playing like that. I mean, he's not going to come out and score 60 again this season probably, but it was a it was an amazing performance. And just good to see him hitting those crazy off-balance threes. And what a difference it makes having Draymond Green in there making those passes. Well, I was going to say, you know, with Clay out and with Draymond kind of underdone, they, they need Steph to score a lot of points this season to make any noise. One of the other really cool things I did see, though, uh, James Wiseman actually was speaking after the game and he'd said that quite often when he played NBA 2K, he would go as Steph Curry and the Warriors and he would frequently score 60 points with him. And he said it was just like basically real life 2K. Yeah. Uh, good times. Now, the other thing we did want to just quickly talk about was uh, the the Phantom of the Opera, Kawhi Leonard. And well, I'd say Hannibal Lecter, yeah. Yeah, Hannibal Leonard, yeah, it was, that was a shocker. How, how do you describe it, Nate? Uh, well, the Hannibal Lecter mask is the best I can say, apart from, obviously, instead of it being metal, it's plastic, basically. But he came back quickly, to his credit. I thought with a broken jewelry, he might be out for a little while, but no, he came back almost straight away. So, And it didn't seem to affect his performance, either. He had great, great numbers. So, But yeah, that mask is a bit funny. It's certainly not as good as Richard Hamilton's. No, it's definitely no Rube Hamilton. I heard uh, a few things on the internet. My favourite one, though, was basically that if, even Kawhi's mask is a robot. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yep. Very true. Uh, yeah. As long a, as he can still a, laugh through it, that's okay. Well, yeah, they, I think that was another one where someone was saying that his mask is almost as awkward as his laugh. Oh, let's not go that far. So, yeah, we're looking forward to talking about a lot more of the NBA in coming weeks. But, uh, yeah, we don't need any excuse. We're on the right track, definitely. It's been a great start to the season. Now, Nate, you've got some odds open news for us. Yeah, so Stewie, we thought we had an Australian Open date, but in a case of not so fast, it's now looking like maybe we don't. So initially it was delayed because of COVID, for obvious reasons, fair enough, to the 8th of February. But now it's looking like it might be delayed even further because residents at Western Apartments in Melbourne, where the players were going to quarantine, are pretty pissed off that they're getting special treatment coming over here from some pretty crazy hotspots, including the UK, which is out of control at the moment, in addition to other places. 
And so they're threatening to even take it to the Supreme Court and file a Supreme Court injunction to stop players being able to fly in and quarantine there. So this could put the whole thing on ice, potentially. So this is very much a watch this space story. It's only fairly breaking. But uh, by this time next week, we'll have a better idea of if the whole thing will go ahead at all. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I can certainly understand from their point of view, yeah, some of the the places that these players are coming from. I mean, obviously the United States is still well and truly in the in the midst of it. A lot of these European countries, you've got players from South America. It's yeah, it's very conceivable that there would be players that are that are coming in that could be asymptomatic. So yeah, I can understand where they're coming from. It's obviously just a shame that they've picked a place that has people as as sort of permanent residents as well. I mean I don't know why you wouldn't just pick a 100% pure hotel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rent the whole place out makes more sense. Yep, absolutely. Well, that could be the decision that is a bit of a downfall. Apparently, residents were notified about the decision after the decision was made. So they weren't even consulted. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so as I say, watch this space. We'll probably have more this time next week. But uh, it's now looking a bit shaky for the first Grand Slam in tennis for 2021. Now, Stewie, we have some, uh, well potentially bad news i guess to some uh well what do you call it bad taste yeah yeah i mean this one was definitely a contender for the bloody hell this week (laughs) (laughs) so it's raul bobadilla's goal celebration in the paraguayan primera division which uh yeah i'm sure a lot of people have heard about this one by now but it's uh yeah it's a bit of an interesting choice so he's playing for a club Gurani now, and he scored an 86th minute goal to give his side a 3-2 aggregate win over Libertad in one of their local cups before heading towards the corner flag, ripping off his jersey, his GPS tracker, which is that thing that kind of looks like a little mini bra, and then he decided to slide his pants down. Mm. Now, the reason it isn't bloody hell worthy, though, is because as much as everyone in the media is talking about him exposing his penis, he really didn't. I took one for the team here and I watched this one really closely several times and you can't see a thing. Like, uh, sorry. Maybe maybe a centimetre at the top of his willy. I can tell you he either shaves or waxes, but you definitely didn't see anything below that. He's facing a pretty big fine for this and, and possibly a suspension, which I think is actually a bit rough. Maybe a fine for insinuating the, the action of it, but you didn't see anything. Is Is this maybe over the top a little bit? I don't know. It's easy. It's easy as adults to say that, but I guess if kids were watching, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky. That's one. a good point. I hadn't actually thought about it from that yeah. point of view. Yep, yeah. No. Good. Good call. Yeah. Good call. But I, I, I certainly wouldn't suspend him for long, especially nah, you know, of games it wasn't even the whole thing. So he didn't. He didn't say anything at all. Really, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, good on you for taking one for the team there, Stuart. You, you maybe yeah. watch that footage as much as we watch the footage of something that we'll be talking about later in this week in sport. Quite possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Now, we've started to come to the pointy end of the NFL season, haven't we, Nate? Oh, we sure have. The playoffs are now set. It was another very exciting week in the NFL, as it seems to have been for the last month, really. But there's some big news. Our, our seeds are set. The Chiefs are number one seed in the AFC, the defending champions, of course, and the Packers are the number one seeds in the NFC. They'll both be having a week off. The first games for week one, Bills versus my Colts. Jonathan Taylor had 253 yards and two touchdowns today for us in a pretty How did big I know week. that you would start with that game, though? I just knew you were going to start with the Colts. Well, hey, it's top of the list on the ESPN <laughs> as well. So, you know, I'm just going down the ESPN list, Chewy. What can I say? But it was a record for the Colts in rushing. It was a very impressive effort. Uh, the Steelers and Browns will be playing division rivals and the Titans and Ravens will be playing to round out the AFC. And then in the NFC, we've got the Saints and Bears, the Seahawks and Rams and the Washington football team versus Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. So 
That should be quite exciting indeed. Derek Henry became the eighth player to reach 2,000 rushing yards in a season. He needed a ton of yards to do it, but he got 250 today. So that was very impressive. And I guess the other impressive thing is the Cleveland Browns are in the playoffs for the first time since 2002. And even with the expanded field, they would have got in even if it had been normal without the extra team in each conference. So hats off to them. Finally, uh, maybe God doesn't hate Cleveland anymore. So obviously that's, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in the NFL, but what about former Fremantle docker Max Duffy playing for the University of Kentucky? Oh, he showed some candy, didn't he? <laughs> and he had the, had the US media and uh, the supporters absolutely lapping it up. They were loving it when he did a nice little fake and then a big drop punt for what was, you know, could have been a disastrous blocked punt, possibly turnover to a very nice punt that backed him up in the corner. So good on him. I don't know how the hell he's in college when he played for the Dockers in 2015, though. That's yeah. I was going to ask you that. He's playing college football at 27. What? what that's a bit. All I can think. Here. Well, all I can think is that he's in grad school, and that's the only way I think he could qualify is by being in grad school. But uh, yeah, that's mm. maybe one we need to look at a bit closer. I, I tried to find a list of the ages of all the other players on the the roster for Kentucky, but I couldn't find more than a couple really. So it would have probably taken an hour to go through them all, but. A lot of people are calling it the greatest punt ever because of the way that he sold the candy. I actually think this could potentially encourage a lot more Americans to check out the AFL. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 really interesting on numerous levels. You know, it could change the game of punting. It could see even more Aussies having, heading over there. And there is already tons of Aussies that have gone over there in the last decade. So, yeah, no, it's really interesting. Definitely. I'd actually be interested to see if there's any sort of analysis, I guess, on the way that he held the ball. Because he held that, as you said, like a drop punt rather than the traditional sort of hold it more towards one end and just and, and punt it, basically. So, yeah, it should be should be interesting. Absolutely. He'll, he'll probably be in the NFL next year. So as we make our way into a brand new year, 2021 has started. 2020 is officially dead. We thought we'd take a little bit of time to take a look back on the year that was 2020. Yes, indeed. Now, this one's been on the agenda for a couple of weeks, actually, and we've had to kind of bump it because we love talking. But it's actually kind of a good thing because now the entire 2020 is in the books and there was some interesting news right up to the 31st of December. So I think it was actually kind of a blessing in disguise. But I guess I'd start with the things that never change. So as always, it was a year of champions. The Richmond Tigers won their third premiership in four years after a shaky start in the bubble environment. At 21, Sophia Kinnean became the youngest woman since Serena Williams to win the Aussie Open. Nadal won the French Open for a record 13th time. And by the way, he is the first and only player in history, male or female, to win 13 Grand Slams at a single major. Juventus won their ninth consecutive Serie A title and their 36th overall. Liverpool won the EPL for the first time in 30 years. They had an 18-point lead over second-place Man City. A couple of interesting stats from that one from BBC Sport. The 30-year wait for their 19th title was equal to 103,410 minutes of football, 239 players and $1.47 billion spent on transfers. <laughs> Uh, the Australian women's T20 team won the ICC Women's T20 World Cup, while viewership and attendance re- records were shattered in the process. The Mumbai Indians won a record fifth IPL title, sticking with cricket. It was the year that 304th ranked Sofia Popov won the Women's British Open, having never won an LPGA meeting ever. Jesus, I'll tell you what, if there's one you could choose to start with, that would be it. Oh, sure is. The LA Lakers won their first title for a decade, LeBron becoming the only player to win finals MVP with three different winning teams. The rivalry between LA and Tampa Bay 
was an interesting one with those teams facing off in the MLB World Series and the NHL ice hockey. And then, of course, Dewey, speaking of champions, it brings me to the last one on my short list, the Perth Wildcats. With the benefit of hindsight, what do you make of our championship in 2020? It was magnificent. That's what it was. <laughs> no, look, it's it's one of those things where so many people will talk about the asterisks. And, you know, I, I still go back to what you say. An asterisk basically just means that something different happened. Abnormal. It was something yeah. outside, yep. of, outside of the norm. And for us to win a championship playing two games away from home and not having a single fan come through the door, well, not entirely, but not no, having well, a full close, crowd. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, not having a full crowd for games two and three, I, I think this is a magnificent win. And I would look at it the same way if I was a Sydney Kings fan because, yeah, I mean, we've spoken about this before. There were opportunities for them to make it a three-game series or play all of the games in Sydney or whatever whatever we wanted to do. We were happy to do it. But Exactly, uh, yep. And, yeah. that's why, and that's why it's not all that tainted to me as well. The, the Kings were offered so many options. The shit was already starting to hit the fan with COVID. So there was definitely stuff on the horizon. So they, they did have options and they chose to proceed and then they chose to pull out. So yeah, it's maybe not as sweet as the other championships, but it's definitely sweet. Oh, they're, every one of them sweet for me. And that so. was number 10 for the Perth Wildcats yeah. and the playoff streak continued although that's definitely in danger. It was a year of old faces in new places with Tom Brady joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Russell Westbrook leaving Houston after just one season. And of course, old faces in old places as well with Gary Ablett Jr. nearly going out in a fairy tale finish, falling at the final hurdle after being injured in the AFL grand final. Yeah, you also had Bernard Tomic on OnlyFans. That was a new place for him. <laughs> uh. You can't be successful on the tennis court. You might as well try the internet, so... <laughs> It was a year of record breakers. For example, Amanda Nunes becoming the first UFC fighter to defend titles in two weight classes while holding them both simultaneously. And it was the same year she became a mum too. So massive year for her. Now, obviously, Stuart, you can't do a year in review without rehashing a little bit, but uh, we have to speak of this man. Lewis Hamilton broke what many considered to be a record that would never be broken when he won the Portuguese Grand Prix, his 92nd victory in F1. It's, it's hard to see how he won't finish as the greatest of all time if he goes for another two or three years. I mean, it just seemed like every week we were talking about another win, another win, yeah. another win. Oh, <laughs> just broken record. Piled yeah. them up, just piled him up this year. And I guess we've also got to mention Armand Duplantis, who surpassed Sergei Bubka's outdoor pole vaulting record, which was 6.14 metres for quite some time. And he managed to 6.15, and he's since then broken it a couple of times. And I think it sits at 6.18 metres now. So that was one that I think people thought would take a while to be broken, and it, and it certainly did, but an amazing effort. Yeah, definitely one to watch for the Olympics next year too. It was a year of firsts and a great year for women breaking the glass ceiling in men's sports. From Alyssa Nacken making Major League Baseball history as the first female coach in an on-field role when she took first base box for the San Francisco Giants in, albeit an exhibition game, to Becky Hammond finishing the Lakers-Spurs game as head coach on the very last day of the year, as I mentioned previously. 21-year-old Chris Nikic became the first person with Down syndrome to finish an Ironman triathlon. He completed the 2.5-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and a marathon run in 16 hours, 46 minutes, and 9 seconds. 
Iga Swiatek became the first Polish player, male or female, to win a Grand Slam singles title when she went through the French Open without even dropping a set. She became the lowest ranked woman to win in Paris in the Open era, the youngest winner at Roland Garros since Monica Sellers in 1992, and first teenager since Eva Mayoli in 1997. By the way, the thing I love most about her are her two favourite training songs are Welcome to the Jungle and Thunderstruck, so that's pretty cool. (laughs) Vanderbilt soccer player Sarah Fuller became the first woman to score points in a Power 5 conference game with a couple of point-after kicks in the college football there, though women had kicked in men's college football before, but still breaking down barriers as it was a Power 5 conference. The WNBA's New York Liberty took NCAA all-time leader in triple-doubles Sabrina Ionescu first overall in the first virtual draft, which would become a trend across many sports in several countries. The Nuggets became the first NBA team to come back from 3-1 twice in the same postseason, beating both Utah and then the Clippers. And I've got to mention, also the first time India had finished the test innings on just 36 runs. (laughs) It was a year of risk takers and rule breakers from Novak Djokovic to Shana Jack, allegedly, to several current and former members of the 2017 winning Houston Astros in the MLB who got done for signal stealing. And then also, as always, unfortunately, it was a year of morning champions from Kobe Bryant in early January, ironically mere hours after LeBron had passed him for third all time on the scoring list to Diego Maradona in late November. Sadly, for all the golden oldies who had great lives and careers and good innings, like Eddie Sutton and Wes Unseld, there were others taken far too soon, such as Chumpy Pullen and Dean Jones. Yeah, geez, a a crazy year in the NBA. I mean, you've mentioned, obviously, Kobe and and Wes Unseld. I mean, you had David Stern on the first day of the year, Curly Neal, Jerry Sloan, Lute Olsen, John Thompson, Tommy Heinsohn. And then you had obviously some some really hard hitting ones close to home. Shane Tuck in the AFL, yeah. Jacinda Barclay from from many sports, Ekaterina Alexandrovskaya, and then you also had Rocky Johnson, the the father of of Dwayne the Rock Johnson as well. Well, Stewie, it's funny you mentioned Rocky Johnson, actually, because incidentally, it was also the year of near-death experience from the literal in Romain Grosjean in the F1 to figurative after Dwayne The Rock Johnson saved the XFL from death after Vince McMahon planned on folding it after just five weeks of play. The Rock paid $15 million to keep the league afloat. It was the year of upsets. The Clippers blew a 15-point lead in Game 5 and a 19-point lead in Game 6 to the Nuggets, as I mentioned earlier. Leonard and George combined for 10 of 38, punctuated by George hitting the side of the backboard when the game was still there to be won. They had the series under control at 3-1. Elliot Kipchoge's streak of winning marathons ended at the London Marathon in October when he finished 8th. He hadn't lost a marathon since 2013, and the man considered to be his biggest rival pulled out of the race due to a calf injury. So that was a big upset. Bayern Munich defeated Barker 8-2 in the Champions League quarterfinals. Swiatek, as I mentioned earlier, beat Halep in France. And Serena Williams lost to Chiang Wang at the Australian Open, her quickest exit from Melbourne Park since 2006, and just the fourth time she'd lost before the fourth round in Australia. And Serena had beaten her 6-1-6 love at the US Open just mere months before in a match that lasted only 44 minutes. Now, of course, for all the normal sporting things that happened, it was, of course, also the year that wasn't. The Tokyo Olympics that were originally scheduled to begin July 24th were pushed back to this year now, the first time in the Olympics' 124-year history that they had been postponed for a reason other than war. The ICC Men's T20, which was going to be played here in Australia in October-November, was pushed back as well. The spread of the coronavirus led to delays in the European Championships and affected 55 affiliated UEFA federations and representatives. 
Wimbledon 2020 was cancelled for the first time since World War II. Hats off to them for having insurance. A few other leagues or competitions <laughs> had. Yeah, true. The NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments were cancelled a week before they were due to begin. The AFLW grand final didn't happen, which left a lot of Dockers fans pretty upset, I've got to say. And it was a year of asterisks, bubbles and hubs, virtual crowds, faux crowd noise, cardboard cutouts, stuffed animals and robot supporters. It's got to also be noted it was a massive year for race relations. Some big stories in the Black Lives Matter from Naomi Osaka at the US Open to George Hill and the NBA players, which led to an avalanche of other competitions postponing, which was really powerful, important. Some great speeches, as we talked about, from Doc Rivers to Michael Holding. So I guess I thought we'd finish this segment, Stewie, with some prevailing images. When people ask you about 2020 in sport, what's going to come to your mind? I mean, there's there's a few things. I mean, the first one is the the image of everyone inside that boardroom where Australia and New Zealand landed the 2023 FIFA Women's World oh, Cup. That was great. Certainly yeah. an amazing moment, seeing everyone jumping for joy. Unfortunately, Gary Ablett holding his shoulder in the grand final with Richmond mm. not long into the game when he'd sort of smashed that. And you kind of knew that the best Gary Ablett wasn't going to be on display that day. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff, but those are probably two that really jump out at me. And certainly, you know, as a big basketball fan, anything to do with the morning of Kobe Bryant was such a such a huge thing. And, you know, seeing the way that it impacted players and, and things like that. And I, I know you've got one that kind of really jumped out for you that kind of linked in with that. So I'll let you. Yeah, mine mine were definitely in, in that realm. Um, I think of a couple of things that will really stick to mind forever. I think that famous footage of Mark Cuban reading the news on his phone as the coronavirus took hold. Uh, in a very kind of animated way. And then Jimmy Butler kind of punched over the sidelines after putting an amazing effort in against the Lakers. It's it's astonishing that they took them to six games and really hats off to them. Uh, and then, of course, going back to the Black Lives Matter, all the protests and kneeling, and there were some really powerful images. So it was a difficult year in sport, just as it was a difficult year full stop. It was an asterisk year, as we said many times, 2020 is an asterisk year. And I dare say 2021 will also be, and it may be even more affected, but time will tell on that one. I think 2020, when you look at it, will basically be like a slab of concrete with a beautiful flower growing through the middle of it. Oh, how poetic, Stewie. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week takes us to the Deegan Racecourse of Queensland for two of the most brilliant horse names of all time. So on the 29th of December, race eight saw a horse by the name of Lovin' de Cock and, and race nine saw a horse called Get On de Cock, both trained <laughs> by Daryl Ward and ridden by Bobby Ellie. So and no relation really to Quinton? No, absolutely no, uh, no relation as far as I can tell. Well, um, horses can't be related to humans, so I guess that would, yeah. <laughs> Obviously very true. <laughs> Sorry. There were questions asked, though, about how the names got through. Apparently, the D-E-Q-O-Q-U-E part is pronounced as the quo. Of course. Sure it is. Bullshit. But it got me thinking there have to be some absolutely magnificent names that have either made it through or maybe been banned. So to get a little bit childish, here we go with some that didn't quite make it, firstly. Q-G-Rection. Oh, no. Yeah, so that's that's where we're going. Yep. Uh, we also have I'm a I'm a whore. <laughs> we also have I'm a penis. Oh, Stewie, I would never say such a thing. Yeah, well, I was going to say, don't laugh too hard. Someone actually <laughs> tried to pass the name I'm a rapist. Yeah, mate, come on. Jesus. Yeah, poor yeah. form. Anyway, some other funny ones. 
Norfolk Enchants. Ah, yes. Nice. Yep. Very clever. Uh, oil, I've heard variations on that one before. Oil, oil Beef Hooked. Oil Beef Hooked. An yeah. Irish or a Scottish one, Stewie, eh? Yeah, that would be. That would be uh, Anita BJ now. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, oh. We also had we also had anorexic. A bit more in the bad taste category. And, but... Yep. And Arthur Fultzake. <laughs> oh, that's what you shout out when the horse comes last, I guess. Yes, exactly right. Now I've got a very short list of some that actually made it through. Uh, there's one that's spelled F U C H U. Okay. So so. <laughs> you, I believe they're trying to say. Yeah. Uh, we also had we also had the following four. We had big tits, slippery dick, muck diver, oh, and so sofa can fast. And these ones got through. This ones got through. Bloody hell! So for other uh, people to get onto cock and for love to cock, all I can say is bloody hell. Bloody hell. So Stewie, with the NBL right around the corner now, due to start on the tenth of January, we thought we'd. Uh, do a bit of a preview for the upcoming season. And that cannot happen without talking about the newly minted NBL Cup. So every team will play each other once in a hub in Melbourne. Now, Stu, it's got to be said, it's it's an interesting one. The season is due to start normally. We don't know if that will happen or not with cases starting to spike in Victoria and New South Wales. So that the Wildcats, for example, first couple of home games are in serious doubt. But we'll assume that it does start on the 10th, at least a few games. Now, what will also happen is the NBL Cup. Every team are going to go to Melbourne for, for a hub environment in February and will play each other once to go to kind of, I don't know, I guess it's like a UEFA or a little Champions League kind of in-season tournament. All games will count towards the final ladder proper, so they'll still go towards what will make up the final playoffs. However, there will be a pool of prize money for the winner and runners-up in the Cup, and there'll be points awarded so there'll be three points awarded for a win and an extra point awarded for each quarter one across the 36 games held which will be played over about 30 days so it's going to be a big month of basketball in february i know you want to tee off on this one stewie so i'll just hand you the reins here we go another shocker from the let's change something for the sake of changing something academy this it feels like the city of Melbourne trying to get something back for all the AFL games they lost last year. <laughs> Ooh, controversial. Like, I mean, where do I start? There's, there's probably four things that I hate about this. So first things first, we always talk about the advantages Melbourne teams have in the AFL. They get to play more than half their games at home. But with every team making a hub in Melbourne, United and Phoenix get four straight weeks at home. And for United in particular, there is no excuse for them not winning the minor premiership. Oh, yeah, it's huge. Huge advantage. So obviously the Wildcats, the Taipans and the Breakers in particular, we get the raw end of the stick with this. So that's the first thing that pisses me off. The second thing, having a mid-season tournament like this, it's not necessary. I mean, it might still be quite good to watch, especially if some of these cash strap sides can win you know, the big money. But why force it to count towards the regular season standings? If you're going to call it the NBL Cup, it should be separate to the rest of the season. I might have to beg to differ with you on this one, Stewie. I think it's it's quite pragmatic and savvy. If cases continue to spike, banking a whole month of every team playing each other once could be really important if they need to cancel or postpone down the line. But what if Melbourne goes back to shit? Well, that's true too. 
That is true too. But if they're in a hub environment and they're not interacting with the general public, even if Melbourne did go to shit, theoretically they could still get this done, albeit without crowds. Mm. Oh, yeah, I, I don't like it. Anyway, but yeah, for me as well, the notion well, of winning a cup mid-season and then potentially celebrating and then going back to being eighth on the ladder. <laughs> well, I don't know if that'll happen. I, w- I will add to your point though. It's been dubbed the inaugural NBL Cup. So while, Fuck. yeah, 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 oh, no. yeah. So while while it seems to be a COVID-related decision, it might still happen even in non-COVID years. So I tend to agree with you more in non-COVID years, but I can see why it's happening this year. Okay, there's a couple of other things. We've got to get through these. <laughs> Getting points for winning every quarter. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Like, yeah. This all this means to me is that teams are going to play their starters extended minutes because if you know you're up by twenty at three quarter time, you probably still want to win that fourth quarter. So all that's going to do is result in more injuries that shouldn't happen, and yep. it's going to stunt the growth of local players. Yep, agree with you a hundred percent on that one. Why can't it just be percentage based like the ladder is, or tiebreaker yeah. based? Like, yep, there's that's no worse. need, absolutely no need. It's actually worse than the bash boost. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it does. It cheapens the games. I, I agree. I, I fucking hate it too. It's yeah. terrible. And then I'm going to give you a direct quote. As permitted attendances hopefully increase up to 75% in Victoria by early next year, this will be a great opportunity for tens of thousands of fans to enjoy a unique basketball event for Melbourne and Australia. Places like Perth and Adelaide could have 100% capacity as long yeah. as people don't fuck it up for everyone else. But of course, it's <laughs> all about Melbourne. Yep. Yep. All about Melbourne. And just like in all sports, fuck everyone else. I hate this thing and I've refused <laughs> to think any other way. Oh, God, it's annoying. Oh, I love the hot takes, Stewie. Need, love it. We need, to move on, we need to move on to the rosters where I'm going to punch the screen. So I guess we'll go in alphabetical order, team by team, Stewie, to give a little bit of a preview, some prognostications as well. We'll start with the Adelaide 36ers who finished last season on 12 and 16 and missed the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, this, this is the first of several very hard teams to pick at this stage. Daniel Johnson's a year older, and then you've got all these guys like Keanu Pinder, Sunday Detch, uh, Jack McVeigh. These guys could be game breakers one game and then throw up a donut the next I mean, they're not going to have any ego problems on this team, which I think is a, is a really, really great thing. But I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Donald Sloan to put up big numbers offensively for this team. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if he was let go halfway through the season for failing to do that. Yeah, they've got some big responsibility on the imports, but there's a couple of other really interesting names there too. And there's some big guys. Isaac Humphreys, who of course played in Kentucky and had, uh, well, still has NBA aspirations. And then Josh Giddy as well, I believe, is like six foot eight or something. So they, they could put a pretty tall team on the on the court with Daniel Johnson too. Yeah, I actually look forward to a game between Adelaide and Brisbane where everyone's like six foot six and over. Speaking of Brisbane, Stewie, they're next on our list. They are indeed. Jeez, I think Brisbane are a chance to meet, maybe be one of the most fun teams in the league to watch. I, I actually kind of like the fact that there's not really any out-and-out superstars on this team, but they've got a lot of really good guys, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, they've got a pretty decent team on paper. I think I think a lot's going to come down to Harry Froling and how well he plays. Yeah, well, I mean, I love, and this goes back to what I was saying, I love the idea of having him and Matty Hodgson in like a Twin Towers role, because Froling can shoot from outside. Hodgson's obviously a lot more limited in terms of his range, but... I do like those two guys on defense sort of creating a bit of a wall. You look at someone like Nathan Sobey, he's going to have that offense going like super high tempo. 
Samori Wignitz will probably do the same. And I'm so keen to see how Tanner Krebs goes in the NBL game. He's going to be a massive X-factor guy. And Sobey moving to shooting guard too will be interesting. So they've got some decent ball handling. Yeah, they're quite well balanced, the Bullets. Yeah, and I really like this team. I think they're going to be, as I said before, a really, really fun team to watch. And I look forward to seeing what sort of what sort of offense they, they run with all of these different guys. Next, we have another Queensland team, the Cairns Taipans. I think they may have the most returning players from last season. So that stability from last season when they took us to three games in the semis. And after one game of each series, I kind of thought whoever wins the Cairns Perth series is going to win the grand final. They played really well. They, they gave us a bit of a scare too. Those Taipans could be quite good. Yeah, I mean, any team that starts with Cam Oliver and Scott Machado, they, they're going to be good. So, I mean, that's obviously an amazing start to a team. Mojave King looks like he could also be really good. I have watched a few of his highlights and had a look at, at some of his stats as well. I hope he doesn't fall in love with a three-point shot, you know, kind of be a detriment to the rest of his game. He's got really good size. He needs to utilize that to be successful. They've got some interesting pieces off the bench and guys like Jared Kenny and Mirko Jeric. I do worry that Cairns might rely on their top-tier players a bit too much, though. I mean, having said that, I've doubted the Taipans before, including last season. I, I hope they prove me wrong because the Taipans are linked to the Wildcats with how many of our players have gone yeah. through there. <laughs> the feeder system. You just never know with Cairns. You never know. Oh, I'm quite bullish on them, actually. I, I, I really love their import combination. Could be the best import combination in the competition. Cam Oliver was an absolute beast in that series against us. He had a 22-19 and 19 in Game 2, for example the one where they won, uh, but he also had double-figure points and rebounds in the others. Uh, Machado is a great point guard. I guess, for me, Nathan Jawai, is he going to be a little too slow? You know, is the game moving past him a little bit? So I think Jawai is a pretty key one for them. If he plays well, I think they're playoff-bound, maybe even finals aspirations. If he doesn't play well, could be shaky. I agree. I, I can't see... I just can't see Jawai being a massive factor this year. I mean, it's... It looked like it was passed him last year, and I, I dare say he's going to be a, a step slower again. From the team returning possibly the most players to the team returning possibly the least, we have the Hawks, but gee, they're stacked, and they have one of the greatest, if not greatest, coach of all time in the NBL and Brian Gorgian on board. It's, it's so great to see the Hawks looking relevant again. Uh, it's, it just seems like so long ago that they were contending with the, the Glenn Savills and the Matty Campbells of the world. I'm fully expecting Daniel Dell to go beast mode on this league. I've actually got him winning the MVP, averaging about 25 a game. I think I he'll be very him. good. Yeah, definitely. I, I think he will be phenomenal. I absolutely love their imports. I'm not sure if they're quite as good as the ones that you just sort of rattled off, obviously, with Cairns. But Tyler Harvey is a walking bucket. Justin Simon is a defensive beast. They've got some really good bench players. Look for Daniel Greta and Emmett Nard to take the next step this year. And as you said, any team that's coached by Brian Gorgian, they're going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Daniel Greeter as well. And Justinian Jessup, of course, was uh, drafted recently in the NBA and he's a part of the Next Stars program as well. So they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty stacked. I think the issue for them will be the chemistry. Can they get it all together? And maybe, hey, maybe that NBL Cup, you know, is a good chemistry building time for many teams. Don't make me say it. Speaking of the NBL Cup, Stewie, where it will be played is Melbourne. Melbourne United have a lot of good players returning and a couple of big names coming on board with Jock Landale, who said that they may go undefeated, which is a little bit optimistic, I think, in such a, a league with so much parity. But also one of my favourite imports in the whole competition, maybe my second favourite non-Wildcat after Cam Oliver, they've got Scotty Hobson. 
Yeah, this was a great off-season for United. I mean, they lost Sean Long and they lost Casey Prather, but when you replace them with Jock Landale, who he's probably jostling with Dengadel Adele for pick-up of the off-season for me, and then Scotty Hobson, who's probably just behind that, they are looking really good. And it's got to be said that Casey Prather was never really the same after he left the Wildcats, so it's probably not as big a loss as it might have seemed. No, definitely not. I mean, Hobson was very much an MVP candidate last year. He was phenomenal for the Breakers. The thing that I find really intriguing about this is Shay Illy. I remember a couple of years ago, he looked like he could be a star player, and then he just kind of blended back in with these average bench players. Like, I honestly thought a couple of seasons ago that we'd be talking about him as a starter for, for some team, and I think if they can get him back to some semblance of what he was a couple of seasons ago, Melbourne are going to be incredibly difficult to, to run with. And, I mean, obviously the NBL Cup portion of the season provides yeah. them with a massive opportunity to play with that big cluster at yeah. home. Yep. If, if they don't win the minor premiership, there's something wrong. It certainly gives them the inside track. Absolutely. And they're very deep. So they, they can actually weather injury more than any other team, I would say. Yep. Now, another team that's pretty deep is the New Zealand Breakers. They did miss the playoffs last year in sixth place, going just above 500. But they have a couple of new players, including import Lamar Patterson, who played very well for Brisbane the last couple of seasons. Yeah, this is going to be a beast of a team. You add in Lamar Patterson, as you mentioned, he was a top three guy in the league last year to a lineup that already had Corey Webster, and then you're getting Ty Webster as well, which I think probably is the best backcourt in the league. I think you'll find this team is going to be really tough to string stops against. They are just so good offensively. And I tell you what, Finn Delaney, I expect him to take another huge step forward. And I mean, surely in Thomas Abercrombie's 145th and final season, the Kiwis will be very keen for a massive year. And speaking of guys taking the next step, I, I'm really quite a big fan of Rob Lowe too. And I think he'll, uh, he'll, he'll take a next step as well. So absolutely. He'll be a nice player to pick up the mantle from where Abercrombie leaves off, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked him having that that real nice, almost like a stretch 4-5 guy. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, the, the breakers are going to be tough to, to stop defensively. I'm very, very keen to see how they look. Next, we have our Perth Wildcats, Stewie. Now, we have a lot of returning players as well, but the big one who isn't returning is Nick Kay, and it really has me worried about our big man stocks. Yeah, this might just be the year the Cats finally miss the playoffs. And I, Like, I know we've said that before, but all it's going to take is one injury and the season could be toast. Like, I love the shooting that we've got with Todd Blanchfield and then Clint Steindl, Jesse Wagstaff, obviously Bryce Cotton as well. But when you look at the players lost, along with Nick Kay, we've lost Rico White and Miles Plumley. That represents a lot of offense. And I, I feel like a lot of teams have gone past the Cats in this offseason. Not to mention Damian Martin, the heart and soul of the club and our former captain, who was such a great servant of the team and the game for so long. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Some massive losses there. I love the, the Blanchfield pickup as well. I'm I'm optimistic about John Mooney. He started all right in the preseason, so hopefully he's a decent power forward. He could have apparently been taken under the Next Stars program, so we probably should have been a bit more bullish on that. Word is that we were kind of banking on Bryce Cotton getting his citizenship. I wonder if whoever works in the citizens' office maybe uh, is a Sydney King supporter, Stewie. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. So the tip was that he'd get naturalised and then we'd bring Plumley back, which is still potentially in play. But one of the other rumours is that old Tom Jervis will come out of retirement to be a stopgap big man. I actually quite like Tom Jervis, so I don't mind. I'd be happy. I hope we do pick him up in the interim. I hope so, because yeah, the, the loss of Majok Majok was actually quite a big one. I was going to say maybe don't underestimate that. but Oh, yeah, yeah no, it was, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on these former development players like Taylor Britt, Luke Travers, 
one is like a low bullock. Um, and obviously, yeah, huge amount on Cotton and John Mooney. One injury and, yeah, with most. Well, Travis is on the depth chart to start, which would be an amazing achievement as a development player. There's been NBA buzz for him. He's very young. Apparently, he's improved a lot in the offseason, so fingers crossed with him. As we get to the pointy end, Stewie, we've got the South East Melbourne Phoenix. Uh, again, another team that will probably rely on their new imports a hell of a lot. But they also picked up Cam Glidden, Ruben Tarangi. So they've got a couple of other players that have been around a long time as well. Yeah, it's an interesting lineup. I'm interested to see if they can be any good, really. Like Cam Glidden, yeah, he'll get the ultimate green light here. They'll have a lot of guys looking to put up bigger numbers. Like Kendall Stevens, Kyle Adnam, Ruben Tarangi. I love the idea of using Yanni Vettel in pick and rolls. Like he's a really good rim runner. He finishes well. He's got really good footwork around the rim. I'm just not sure that they'll be quite good enough to make the finals. They're a team that could be dangerous though on any given night. Yeah, they're still a couple of years away, I would say, with a league so strong. And then finally, with a league so strong, I dare say the former minor champions who led the competition from pillar to post, never finishing below first in any round, the Sydney Kings, not only do they bring back a very old team without Andrew Bogut, Casper Ware's a year older, Brad Newley, Kickett, geez, they've got some old blokes there. But also Xavier Cooks could be out for an extended period, so I can't see Sydney making the playoffs again. No, nah, I think the Kings might fall into the same category as the Wildcats, but worse. As you mentioned, they lost Bogut, they lost Kevin Lift as well. Cooks is going to be out for, I think, most of the season, certainly a long time. Casper wears back and, you know, can he find his groove again after a hideous playoff run? Like, I mean, this is a guy who's made a career out of hitting big threes. He was 6 of 24 against Cairns and 1 for 23 against the Wildcats in the finals at 4.3%. Bold predictions, Stewie. Casper Ware will not be a king by the end of the season. Jeez, yeah, well, I mean, if he can't start shooting decent again, I mean, I think they'd want to get rid of him. But yeah, that's that's a... That's a fair prediction. Actually. I can see it happening. I can totally see it happening. I mean, you look at their role players, yeah, guys like Daniel Kickett, Sean Bruce, Craig Muller. I guess Brad Newley's falling into a role player category. It's probably not anymore now that they've lost all the good players. I think maybe Didi Lozada's going to have to be the guy this year. Like, he's Yes, a really definitely. Yep. He's going to have to get better at generating shots for himself and maybe become more of a facilitator when defences collapse on him. But then who's he going to be passing to? So, yeah, it's, it's not looking great for the Kings this season. So, uh, look, predictions are fraught at the best of times when you're not dealing with a pandemic. Uh, but uh, I guess we'll have a crack at our top four and our eventual champion. You want to kick us off? Yeah, so I've got United finishing top, the Hawks second, the Breakers third, and the Brisbane Bullets fourth. I can't have Cairns out of it. I, I think it, I think you're right. I think it's the year the Wildcats probably missed the playoffs as, uh, finally after over three decades, unless Bryce gets citizenship soon. I'm going to have United, the Hawks, Cairns, probably the Breakers, but I think that last spot's between the Breakers, Bullets and Wildcats. Yeah, I mean, I think we've spoken about this. There's going to be two to three really good teams that will miss out. I've got the Cats, Taipans and 36s as those teams, and then the Phoenix and the Kings just kind of finishing things off. But, yeah, it's tough. I mean... Outside of the bottom two, I could see any of those seven teams making it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, once again, and we've been saying this for years and we'll continue to say it, the parity in the NBL is so good. And there will be some very good teams that miss out. Very good. And I dare say, Stewie, I know I hate to say, but it could come down to the NBL Cup. Oh, God. Those final ladders. Yep, it could. It could happen. If we miss out because of one bloody quarter or something stupid like that. Well, or an injury. I, I think you're right. An injury, a team chasing a, a stupid point in a quarter, it, it could lose a really important player. 
I really want to pick the Taipans, Stewie, but I'll take United over Cairns because of the NBL Cup benefit in the final. Okay. I've got United beating the Bullets in three, the Hawks sweeping the Breakers, and then United in a tough five-game series over the Hawks. Any way you cut it, I think it's going to be very, very exciting indeed. Except the cup. (laughs) And now... This week in sport history. January 5th, 1971, the Harlem Globetrotters lose to the New Jersey Reds 100-99, ending a ridiculous 2,495-game winning streak and probably breaking the hearts of at least every kid in attendance. (laughs) I don't know. When they grow up, uh, they probably (laughs) will realise they saw history in the making. This is true. January 5th, 1992, Shane Warne takes his first ever test wicket, removing Indian all-rounder the great Ravi Shastri for 206 in the third test in Sydney. Warne struggled mightily, taking just one for 150 before being dropped for poor rifle for the fifth test. Did love the old poor rifle. He would do okay, though, finishing with 708 wickets, the most all-time for bowlers with illegal action and who don't play Zimbabwe a shitload of times. <laughs> oh, dear. Quick second as well to uh, to note that that one wicket that he took of Shastri was caught by the late great Dean Jones as well. So ah, may he rest in peace. Yes, indeed. January fifth, two thousand and sixteen. Fifteen-year-old Mumbai schoolboy Pranav Danawade becomes the first batsman to ever score a thousand runs in a single innings in cricket, <laughs> making a thousand and nine not out of just three hundred and twenty-seven balls. Ridiculous. 129 fours, 59 sixes while playing for KC Gandhi English School as they declared it three for 1,465. Oh, crikey. Against Aya Gurukul with KC Gandhi winning by an innings in 1,382. <laughs> Fuck. Just, even looking at it on the screen, it just doesn't make sense. Oh, it doesn't. <laughs> Every, every single bowler for Arya went for at least 13 runs and over with Ayush Dubi, the pick of the bowlers, 23 overs, no maidens, two for 350. <laughs> Jeez, he was the pick of the bowlers. He was the best. Oh, I dare say they wanted to probably change their faces like Arya on Game of Thrones after that. Well, exactly right. Or smoking Ayush Dubi. January 7th, 1972, the Los Angeles Lakers defeat the Atlanta Hawks 134-90 to to register their 33rd straight win, the longest winning streak in major professional sports. They would lose their next game two days later to the Milwaukee Bucks by 16, with the Bucks ironically starring future Lakers superstar Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Lou Alcindor, I believe. The Bucks also stopped the second longest streak in NBA history, Golden State's 28-game winning streak spanning two seasons. Yeah, the old streak stopper Bucks, well played. Mm-hmm. January 8th, 2000, the Music City miracle in the AFC wildcard playoff sees the Tennessee Titans defeat the Buffalo Bills 22-16 in the last seconds of the game with Kevin Dyson running 75 yards for a game-winning touchdown. The finish was marred with controversy, however, with many believing that the lateral pass leading to Dyson's run was forward. What do you think, Nate? Mm. I'll tell you what, mate, it looks pretty forward to me, and this is what I alluded to earlier. Uh, We watched this footage a few times, and it definitely looks like a forward pass to me. I've tried to watch it and imagine that it was backwards, but it, yeah, I'm struggling with that as well, yeah. to be honest. Look, I don't know. Maybe it was the angles, and apparently they did some really early 3D modeling to show that although his arm was forward, the pass wasn't. I don't know. It looks wrong to me. I'd be pretty pissed off if I was a Bills fan. I wouldn't be trusting any of that stuff from 2000. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. This week in sport history. Now, Stuart, we thought we'd go light on cricket this week with the third test around the corner, which we'll definitely be talking about a lot next week. But there are a few things we probably should discuss before the match that starts on Thursday. 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing obviously has to be the the big COVID protocol breach from the Indian cricketers. The most prominent one, there were there were actually a couple, but the most prominent one was documented actually by an unwilling Indian fan who I think just wanted to have a little brag on social media. But it showed Rohit Sharma, Rishabh Pant, Shubman Gill, Prithvi Shaw and Navdeep Saini dining indoors at a restaurant. Now, Navaldeep Singh, he spotted the five of them, decided to pay their $118 bill because he wanted to be a hero. And upon telling them, he claimed that Pant actually hugged him. Now, now the Daily Telegraph's Ben Horn actually reported that Cricket Australia's biosecurity guidelines stipulate that players dining publicly must do outside. However, this footage actually shows them indoors. And on top of that, obviously, there's that issue of the hug from Pant. The hug may be the biggest indiscretion of the whole thing, mate. Well, that's what I was going to say. Are we sensationalising this too much or is it still too soon for this to be happening? Well, rules are rules, aren't they? You know, and you think about what the West Indies did. The West Indies took half paychecks to go to England at a pretty scary time. The least they can do is obey the rules, I would have thought. Mm, Yeah, I I just don't understand how it can be so hard to follow such straightforward rules. And especially for someone like Rohit Sharma, who is such a veteran on this team, he's been around for a long time. Surely he of all people should know better than this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, obviously nothing's going to happen. BCCI is probably going to sweep this under the rug. But yeah, I, I think there has to be some kind of a fine for this. But, you know, obviously it won't happen. It'll be interesting. Now, the other big issue that ties into this is that the Indian side are now saying they don't want to have the fourth test in Brisbane because of the requirement to isolate for 14 days because they had to do that in Dubai and then they landed in Sydney and had to do another 14 days. How fucking spoiled are these players? Yeah, this is the world that we live in at the moment. If they want to play and if they want to earn their paycheck, they're going to have to put in the hard yards every now and then. And the Aussies have done it too. So it's not like they're the only ones. That's the big thing, isn't it? I mean, it's not like the Aussies are out there partying and going off and doing whatever. I mean, when they're moving around, they're having to stay in their hotel rooms unless they're unless they're training or playing, really. Mm. So it's not, not like we're getting special treatment. No. But here's the thing. like They're complaining that they have to sit in a hotel room for a few days to do what they love. I had a quick look, and you've got Kohli, Rohit Sharma, and Jasprit Bumrah on over a million a year for international duties, and that's not including their IPL salaries. Mm. Then you've got another 11, including the likes of Rahane, Jadeja, Darwan, Ashman, and Pant, who are all on about well, just under 900000 a year. And even if you go to the lowest level contract, which Hanuma Vihari falls under, he's still making about... A- 180000 a year for playing cricket, but yet following a few countries' guidelines is too much for them. I, I just don't understand how this is a problem. No, yeah. If I was being paid $180,000, I would happily sit in a hotel for 14 days if need be. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And then they're saying that it's contradictory for crowds to be allowed in if the players have to quarantine. But is it the same? People that live in Brisbane and most presumably haven't left Brisbane in over a year, the cricketers are coming from interstate. That's different. So I, I just don't understand all of this hoo-ha. Do and they're hugging locals actually, too, so, you know. Well, exactly. <laughs> Do you think this maybe could be a, a plan of India to try and keep the fourth test in Sydney? Well, it spins more there, doesn't it? So, And the Aussies haven't lost in the, at the Gabba since 1988. So it's it's an interesting one, Stewie. That's, geez, you've got some hot takes tonight, but I like them. And, and India have never won at the Gabba. So yeah, 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 well, so, conspiracy watch. could be a... Yes, it would be very interesting. 
All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. What are you aiming for? Well, it's really simple this week. We're off to see the Scorchers play the Sydney Thunder on Saturday evening at Perth Stadium. So it's going to be really great to see the power of the Thunder team. And we've won a couple of games finally, which is really great. So Yeah, I think for me, Stuart, it'll be the first time I see live professional sports since the Swans and Dockers. That was a while ago. Yeah. How about yourself, mate? The NFL playoffs. So there's a couple of games that I've circled. Titans and Ravens in the AFC. Although I think we, my Colts might put up a bit of a fight against the Bills, even though they've been red hot. Some big games ahead this weekend in the NFL playoffs. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.